Good morning. How y'all doing? Well, I'm not running late, really. Right? I just walked in the door. Um, I've been sitting out there praying, Lord, help me, because I could not decide what direction to go today. I got all kinds of stuff going on in here, and I was like, Lord, what direction do I need to go today? And I'm still not confident about it, but <laughs> I'm going to choose one um, that I really think he wants, uh, the direction he wants me to go. And uh, I get to start this morning because Taylor is not coming today. She's actually going to come on Wednesday to the Scottsdale study um, and do that. We are leaving on Thursday to go to Kansas. Um, yay! Um, because I'm going to be the speaker for uh, Manhattan Christian College, their women's world. So you could be praying for me. Um, I got a lot on my plate right now. And so I'm teaching all this. I'm leaving on Thursday. I have to preach three times there. Um, I also, on Thursday night, am speaking to the Kansas State athletes about mental health. Um, and uh, this week, for some reason, has just been a really hard week for me uh, in grief, and I've struggled. And so I've, it's, it's been crazy. <laughs> I see one of my friends that I ran into at the gym this week and just lost my marbles with her. I mean, really, we sat there at the free weights and we cried our guts out, did we not? And so, but I have to be able to step into that role, which is actually painful for me, and be able to speak to those athletes. So I've got all that going on. The very next weekend, I leave and go speak in Cisco, Texas. So I just have a lot. So in your prayer life, if you just put Mary Shannon Hoffpower right in that list, I would appreciate it. So um, I decided this morning... Um, I may get to Matthew 24, I may not. If you're, if you're new, this might be a really good time for you because I'm going to do some review. And the reason I'm going to do some review is because of a couple of meetings I've had with young people this week and or last week and this week. And I want, I think you need to hear some of what I said to them. I think you need to hear some of what you've learned already at a 3,000-foot view as a big story because you have all the Daniel so far, all the information, but it's been a lot of information, right? And sometimes we can get lost in the detail of all the information and forget the massive themes that are running through Daniel and how it fits the overall narrative of the Bible. And to me, that's what I work the hardest to do. And so when I am meeting with high schoolers on Wednesday nights, per se, I'm taking all my years of studying the Bible, and I am teaching them the overall narrative through the Old Testament so that they know the story, the story and the themes that go throughout so it makes sense to them. And so that seems like it would be easy. I'm going to tell you writing summaries are the hardest things you can possibly do because you have to know all of the detail, but then tell it like a story. And, and it's difficult. So I struggle with it. I chew on it. You would not believe the amount of hours that I spend to be able to take all of that kind of knowledge and put it in a way where it can be spoken clearly to another person. So I thought what I was going to, and I just decided to do this this morning, so here we go. Um, I thought what I would do is um, tell you the situations, and I'm going to walk through. I actually wrote down some of what I went through with these young people. So here we go. This is going to be like a Daniel review right after uh, chapter 8, but it's going to have an overall theme, uh, I believe, that weaves through the Bible that answers some of the greatest fears we have going on right now. All right. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, you need to speak to me through me today. Um, I'm giving it to you. And so, God, I just pray that I could be clear. Um, Lord, I pray that I don't send people down any wrong direction whatsoever. 
um, that they walk out of here having a greater confidence and a peace and a direction um, for what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that they would consider what we talk about today, that they would actually really absorb it and stew on it and make it a part of their lives, and that, that we would be ready to instruct young people or our neighbor or whoever it is that have such questions about fear and what's going on today and, and actually uh, the story of the Bible and how it applies. How does the Bible, how do Christians affect the world today? And so, God, I just pray that you would direct me, that you'd fill me with your spirit, that your words would be powerful. Get me out of the way and do your thing. I sure love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, I told you guys about uh, the young man at the Village Inn. Do you remember that? Okay, so he's still on my mind. And if you weren't here, the bottom line, I went to Village Inn on uh, last Monday night studying, I think it was, might have been the week before, I can't remember. Um, but I was studying, and uh, as I was leaving, he, he wasn't a great waiter, I told y'all that, but he was a precious young man. He was so sweet and kind. I mean, he forgot stuff like four times, but he kept a smile on his face, and, and we would talk through the whole deal, and you know, life's not going to end if I don't get toast or whatever it was, but so he, um, we're, I'm about to check out. There's a couple that is in front of me, and they're telling him what a nice young man he is and how they've enjoyed spending time with him. And they then hand him a card, and they um, say, hey, you might enjoy getting on this website because there's a lot of encouraging things on it. And he said, oh, okay, thank you. And so I'm coming up next, and he asked me, what are you studying? And I said, the Bible. And he said, oh, he said, you know, I get a lot of great people in here. In the This is how he talks. You know, I get a lot of great people in here at the Village Inn. And they often talk to me about, you know, things like that or like, like this couple right before. They just handed me a card and said, hey, go to this website. And uh, there's a lot of encouraging things on there. And he's, and he's looking at the card. And he's like, so is this the same thing? And Oh, no, he said, so it's probably the same thing. I said, do you mind if I see that card? And he said, no. And, of course, I look at the card, and it's Jehovah Witness. And he says, is this the same thing? And I said, no, not really. And then I said to him, do you mind if I tell you the difference between every religion and Christianity? And you can go back. I think this is recorded because I told this story online, and I basically walked him through uh, the difference. Um, I told him the gospel message and the difference between works, trying to work your way to God, and what Christians believe, and that is that that is an impossibility. I even told him the loogie and the applesauce story. If you never heard that, go back and listen. But that we believe that God came off the mountain to us and put on flesh and that he died for our sin, paying our debt, and that he has made a way now for us to be reunited in relationship to him. And so I go through the whole gospel, and he says to me, wow, that is, that is a very beautiful story, and it makes a lot of sense to me. He says, because I've always wondered how this Christian stuff relates to me now and this world now. And the reason he is asking that is the most of the time when we share the gospel, what are we talking about? Heaven. Going to heaven. Being taken away to heaven. That I am going to believe in Jesus so that my destination after death is what? Heaven. That's how we preach it. Very rarely do we talk about what that transformation does in us now and what it has to do with this life now. And so it's, it's a destination. And he is saying what I want to know, because there's a lot of Christians around him, what does that have to do with life now 
And how does that affect our world? What? Now. And I looked at him and I'm like, you are the most discerning young man. That is a fantastic question. And then I said, I mean, he's working. And I said, do you mind if I come back on a, a Monday and I'll keep studying and we'll keep having this conversation? Like, you, we, there I'll be in the corner. Let's talk about that, how that affects this life now and this world now. So that's been in the back of my head, okay? This last week, I get a phone call in the middle of all my study and it is a dear, dear friend of mine, and her son is dating a young girl by the name of Melissa, and she's struggling, and she is having a lot of fear and anxiety. And I said, okay, and she goes on to tell me that she's having fear and anxiety about what she is seeing in this world, okay, i.e., what happened at the Grammys, if you don't know about that, uh, you know, one of the shows at the Grammys was Sam Smith dressed up as the devil, the beast with horns, and a girl in a cage. So you're talking about, you know, bondage and slavery and trampling over the innocent, okay? So basically, Hollywood is just laying it out, um, not even hiding it anymore. Then uh, talking about, uh, she was... The Super Bowl uh, freaked her out because, once again, the, the show is, has those undertones or, oh, whatever. It's all out there, right? So she's, she can't understand this, what she is seeing, and she's exploring a lot and hearing a lot of stuff that's scaring her. And they're hearing about, you know, all of the unrest politically in our world and what's going on with the different nations. And she has got an incredible amount of anxiety about it. So she had a desire to know more about the Bible and to understand more about the Bible. So she decided that she was still going to go to her church, but she decided to go to another church because she was hoping she might get a little bit more depth. Well, she goes to a new church and at about at first she thinks this is going to be good. You know, I think it's awesome. And then she realizes all of a sudden that now everybody is speaking in tongues and now she has an incredible amount of fear about that. So my friend is like, Shannon, we need you. We need you because I, would you mind sitting down with her and talking through a lot of her fears? And then will you please address her fear about the speaking in tongues? I'm like, well, yeah, you got a day? I'm like, how, how, how much time? So I met this little cutie pie, and she is so cute. I met her at 8 o'clock in the morning on, uh, I believe it was Saturday this weekend. And I began to walk through, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I did, where I literally used Daniel to make her understand what she is seeing in this world today and give her confidence. And, and I'm going to go through that with you a little bit. But I am going to address the other question. Because here she has fear about what is going on in the world. And then she steps into church and she has fear on top of that. And so she asked me what I thought about that. Now, if I step on your toes, I am so sorry, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what I taught her. And I said, what you need to understand is, because she knows nothing about it, is she, I said, the Bible says that tongues is a gift from God. It uses that. I said, but what you need to understand is that spiritual gifts are given not to keep but to give away. They are given so that we use them to edify the body of Christ, the church. I go, so for example, my gift of teaching, it's not mine to keep or to boast over or to show that I am so spiritual because I'm not. I'm just like you. But what I have is this gift of teaching that has been given to me so that I give it away 
and that the body is edified. And I said, and there are various gifts that God gives us. It says in there that tongues is a gift. I, some people think that tongues has been taken away. I don't see that in scripture, but I can tell you this. It has been given to edify the body. It has not been given to create status of spirituality in the, in the individual. It has not been given to be a plumb line for spirituality that everyone has to achieve. Matter of fact, there is one gift that is going to um, show that we are a follower of Jesus, and that is love. That is it. And I said, so if tongues is used correctly, which I'll be honest, I have never seen it used correctly in the United States of America right now. I said, you would walk in if someone spoke a word in tongues, a message in a heavenly language, it should be for the edification of the church and somebody should be interpreting it. It means something. I said the only other use in scripture is this like a heavenly prayer language. I said, I personally have never experienced that. I know people who have, but that is a personal experience through your prayer. And I said, so my biggest concern is when we walk in and all of that is happening, it is creating fear. And that's what Paul talked about, actually, because in this day and age, let me tell you what needs to be happening in church. They don't need to walk into church and be hearing shamalama ding dong and not know what they are saying and create fear. In this day and age, we need to walk in church and understand what is being said. We need a message. We need something we can understand. And it actually irritated the snot out of me because here we have these young people that have enough fear of what is going on in the world around them, because to be quite honest, they don't know their Bible. They don't know what they can hang their hat on. And it's getting worse, and they're scared. And then they walk in to church, and they see all of this happening, and they're gaining no information, but they're just feeling like, what am I missing? And it's, I'm going to tell you, it's frustrating. So I told her, I'm not going to speak in tongues to you. I'm going to speak very clearly to you. And I want to walk you through uh, the overall story of the Bible. And I said, and we're going to use the book of Daniel, but I want to walk you through. So now I'm going to do it for you. You ready? All right. What was God's original plan? God's original plan. He made Adam a dom. Okay, humanity, he made him, he made them, male and female, he created them. What did he create them to do? They were made in his image, right, to be his representative on the earth. They were made to bring the kingdom of God through the earth, to take the beauty and the order and, and all that God had in the garden, they were to spread it throughout the earth as God's representative under his authority. But instead, they chose to operate under their own. And when they did, man fell. And the consequences were devastating. But in the middle of the consequences, in those, that darkest moment, there was a ray of light. In Genesis 3, what does he say? I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The enemy will be destroyed. In the middle of the devastating consequences, that is the first gospel in all of the Bible, and God is letting them know a redeemer is coming. Redemption is coming. This is not the end of the story, that he has made a way. And then when you follow the consequences of man, and by the way, he never, refused, he never uh, took away the free will of man in the process, can you imagine? He did all of this by allowing man to maintain their free will created in the image of God. 
But we see what happened. Before you know it, you look up and man and the story of the brokenness of man, you're in Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis chapter 11 is the story of what? Babel. The story of Babel. Where instead of them bringing the kingdom of God throughout the earth, they build their own. They build their own empire built on violence and oppression, rejecting God, elevating themselves in order to make a name for themselves. And they do it under the oppress, under an oppressive, oppressive human leader. They build their own empire. Of course they do. They were made to rule. They were made to rule under the authority of God to bring God's kingdom throughout the earth. But when they fell, they still were made to rule. They just did it under their own authority and they created their own empire. And we have the first Babel. But God came down and he said, oh, no, you don't. He looked down and he thought, no, there is nothing they're not capable of in this situation. There is no wickedness that they are not capable of doing. They are united, one culture, one language, under one human leader. And so he comes down and he says, no, in my sovereignty, I will not allow it. And he confuses their languages. And when he does, the nations are formed, right? I asked her, who would you hang out with? People that speak my language. All right. And so they went out based on language. And I go, and this is where your science takes over. Science isn't wrong. You have a smaller group and you begin to intermarry. And over the years, certain genetic qualities, what? Rise. And we have the different nations. But what this did, God used language to divide and to slow down the depravity of sin. And I asked her, why, what, what did Hitler intend to do? And she said, well, he intended to kill all the Jews. I go, not just the Jews, any race that he deemed less than or those that had any kind of genetic fault because he was determined to make a stronger human race. And I said, but why could he not accomplish it? Because, well, for one reason, the U.S. and her allies came in and stopped him. So do you see, in many ways, the division of the nation has slowed down depravity because in certain ways, we can police one another. But man still does what man does. And we build empires in arrogance and power. And so it wouldn't be long before those nations would begin to rise up and fight for the title of Babel. But in the meantime, what does God do? Is this helpful? Okay. In the meantime, what does God do? Well, we've been through Genesis 1 through 11. In Genesis 12, he chooses a man by the name of Abram, right? And he tells Abram, he makes a covenant, an unconditional covenant with Abram. He says, I want you to go to a land that you have never seen. And he promises that is going to be his promised land. His land of inheritance for who? Well, through Abram, God is going to make him into a great nation. His nation, a different nation, a nation set apart. They're going to be a nation of priests to God. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you, and all nations will be blessed through you. Now, we know that Part of that is the promise of the coming of the Redeemer because Jesus is going to come through the nation of Abram. But remember, Abram's name is changed to what? Abraham, okay? He is going, which means the father of all nations. The father of all nations. And yes, it is the promise of the Redeemer, but it's also a promise of this. I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. When God blesses us, he does it so that we will be a blessing. So part of that was this, that God was going to come into covenant relationship with his people 
And how did that happen? Through a conditional covenant that we call the law. And we basically focus on the the first terms of that, which is the Ten Commandments. And I've taught you over and over, that's, that's like a marriage covenant, right? He is saying, come into covenant with me, this conditional covenant, this relationship, because I want you to marry me, be my special nation, love me and only me, right? Get rid of all your old boyfriend's pictures, no images, no idols, Honor my name because you're going to bear it. Make me the most important thing. Give me one day of week. Honor the Sabbath. Keep that holy. Let it be a sign, not just to you, but to all nations that you are my people. And then if you're going to marry me, be like me. What am I like? Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not murder, I'm a God of life. Thou shalt not commit adultery, I'm a God that keeps my promises. Thou shalt not lie, I'm a God of truth. This is who I am. And so when you come into relationship with me, be like me. Can you imagine a nation in relationship to God living out the kingdom of God? I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. (laughs) Now, We have an entire Old Testament that gives us a history of how well they did. Right? How well did they do? Not well. And to be quite honest, when we go into chapter 9 and we hear Daniel's prayer, he's going to own all of that. He is going to say, God, you are righteous. We are not. What does righteous even mean, by the way? The Hebrew word righteous literally simply means being in right relationship. Being in right relationship. The behaviors change based on the relationship. There is being in right relationship as a husband and wife, operating in that right relationship. There is being in right relationship as a parent. There is being in right relationship as a neighbor. But what this is saying is God is righteous. He remained. He was faithful to his side of the covenant. He remained in right relationship with his people. They did not, right? And because they didn't, they went through some stuff. They did. They were oppressed. Where does that end? I said, I go, girl, I don't have time to teach you the entire Bible. I said, but let me show you where they ended up. And y'all are familiar with it. Look at Matthew 26. We just studied it. Verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. So, I mean, this is serious biz. They are seeking Jesus' death. The son of God. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. They're trying an innocent man. They are killing, attempting to kill the Son of God. What was their accusation? What was the accusation that they were using against him? They said, hey, we heard him say that he was going to destroy the temple and raise it up again in three days. When did he say this? When he cleansed the temple. Okay, when he came in and cleansed the temple because of all the shenanigans going on in the house of God and he turned over the tables and he cleared the tables. Do you remember all that? And they asked him on that day, what gives you the authority to do such a thing? 
What gives you the authority over the temple? What is the temple? The temple is the place where heaven and earth overlap. The temple was the highest symbol of their religion and the covenant of God that they had, that there ever was to the Jewish people. And they're saying, what gives you authority to do what you just did in the temple? And what does he say? Destroy this temple because this temple is going to be destroyed. You are on a collision course with Rome right now and it will be destroyed. But I will raise it up again in three days. So what is he claiming to be? The temple. And what is the temple? The place where heaven and earth overlap. So once again, in Matthew 26, they are asking him the same question. What is your authority? Who are you? Are you the Christ? And he goes, you say so. Why is he not saying so? Because they have an idea of what the Christ is. They think the Christ is going to be a Judas Maccabeus who uh, destroys the Greeks. They think that the Messiah is going to do to the Romans what Judas Maccabeus did to the Greeks. And so he says, you say so, but listen to what I say. And then he says, do you remember what he says? Do you remember? Come on. I taught you, Daniel. From now on, this is Matthew 26, though. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. And so I took her. I said, let me tell you about this. Jesus is speaking in Old Testament language. And you don't speak Old Testament language. I said, but I kind of do. So I tell you what, let me tell you what he's, he is quoting a chapter in Daniel 7. So now we go back to Daniel 7. And I read to her Daniel's vision. And I said, look at this vision. Daniel has a vision. And I set up Daniel for her, by the way. I said, Daniel is a book about how God's people had not kept right relationship. And because of that, they had been taken into exile. And so the book of Daniel is about some guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their uh, Babylonian names. And they've been taken into exile. The first six chapters of Daniel are about the stories of them living in a culture that was absolutely against them. Um, they have been taken from their homeland. They have been set up now to work in a foreign government. And the first six chapters are stories about those guys. I said the second half, 7 through 12, are about what is coming in the future. It is about Daniel's visions. And I want to show you the first one he has. He has this vision of how the winds of heaven, the four winds of heaven, stir up the great sea, and out of this sea comes what? Four beasts, all right? Four beasts. And I go, and look at these beasts. Do you see? They're these beasts, and they have what? Horns. I go, does that relate to some of the questions you've been asking me? This whole idea of wickedness portrayed in this red suit with the horns and this beast and this evil. And so I said, beasts are a theme that run through the whole Bible. God created us in his image. Why? Well, one, we are to rule. Bring his order throughout all creation. And we were to rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. I said, and so this theme of beasts runs through the whole Bible. And I said, and it definitely is within the book of Daniel. And I go, let me give you one little story about beasts. See, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of, of what? Of Babylon. And he had been warned about his arrogance. And his kingdom was unmatched. There was not another one like it. And he was warned about his arrogance. And he was, and Daniel said, bow before the Lord. Stop oppressing the people. And he refused to bow. 
And when he did, girl, you know what happened? I said, he became a beast. Literally, he became like an animal living in the field, eating the grass. And the scripture says that his hair looked like eagle's wings and his claw, his fingernails, which mine are bad right now, looks like claws. And he was there until he bowed the knee. And when he finally looked up to God, he was given back the mind of a human. So there is a theme that runs through all of scripture. And that is when man refuses to bow the knee, what? We become like beasts. What is the difference between animal and humanity? I said to her, animals are driven by instinct. They are driven by the stomach. Human beings made in the image of God, humanity, we are able to check our instinct, have self-control. We are able to say, I want to win, but you don't have to lose, to work together, to be uh, others-centered. We're able to do that. In Daniel chapter 7, the beast is not an individual. The beasts are empires that are now rising up, trying to take that status. And it says that they're rising up and they're trampling over the innocent. I said, but look what else happens in Daniel chapter 7. And I showed her. In Daniel 7, 9 through 12, who do you see? The Ancient of Days. In the middle of this entire parade, the Ancient of Days, God the Father comes down uh, with his white hair showing his um, eternal presence and with his uh, chariots of fire, he comes as a consuming fire and he opens the book. And when he opens the book, he speaks and the beast is what? Destroyed. And so we know he has the power over all. Ultimately, the beast will be destroyed. But then we see another character. It says, then I saw one coming like the son of man, one that is like a human one. And he comes on the clouds and is presented to the ancient of days. And what happens? The ancient of days gives him dominion. He becomes the judge. He is given all dominion. He is given an eternal kingdom and he is worshiped. And we also know that he represents the true saints. And so I told her, so now that we know the story and we know the language, go back to Matthew 26. They are saying, right, who are you? And he claims, he says, you will see the son of man seated on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds and so what is, I said, there are three characters in Daniel 7. What are they? She knew. Ancient of days. I go, who do you think that is? God the Father. There is the Son of Man, who is the one that is going to be worshipped and receive all dominion, and he is going to get an eternal kingdom. And I go, and he represents the saints. Who is Jesus claiming to be in Matthew 26? And she goes, the Son of Man. I go, who's the other character in Daniel 7? She goes, the beasts. And I go, this is Israel. And what he is saying to them is if the ancient of days is God the Father, and I am telling you I am the son of man. I said it's like this. It's like, you know, someone shows up in a black uh, long robe and a Darth Vader mask, okay? And you hear, and he's got a red lightsaber. Does he need to tell you he's Darth Vader? No. And if I look at Cindy Bergarello on the front row and I just look at her and I say, I am your father. Who is she? Luke. Do you people watch stuff? I don't have to call her that. You know who she is. If I say that, that is what is happening right here. I am the son of man. You're trying to kill me. So who are you? The beast. I said, do you see what has happened? Adam was created to be in the image of God. The beauty of humanity. To bring the kingdom of God through the earth. And he failed. 
And we see it because he creates, mankind creates Babel. A worldly empire built on violence and oppression under a human leader to make a name for themselves. God starts over with his firstborn, Israel. A nation of priests to be a blessing to the world. To be in right relationship to show the world what right relationship looks like. And they fail. Because they end up staring not at a prophet, the son of man. And they're going to kill him. Because they have built an empire. And he is saying to them, listen, you want a sign of my authority? I'll give you a sign. First off, you're going to see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. How are they going to see that? Jesus' death and resurrection when he ascends to the Father and he sits down at the right hand. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame to what? Sit down at the right hand of God the Father. He's on his throne. He is king. He says, not only will you see me exalted in my death and resurrection, but you're going to see me vindicated when you see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Do you remember me teaching you? That is uh, apocalyptic literature. That is a phrase for judgment. And so he is saying, not only will you see me exalted, seated at the right hand of God the Father, you're going to see me vindicated when what happens, what I told you would happen, happens. And boy, did it. Within that generation, 37 years later, they clashed with Rome. Why? They've built an empire, an earthly empire. It's religious, but it was to make a name for themselves. And they came against Rome. They kept going that direction. And the temple was what? Destroyed. You see, the old was obsolete. The old became obsolete. Look at Hebrews 8.13. Hebrews 8.13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now even the first covenant with regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. It goes on to explain how all of those were symbols of something that was actually represented in the heavenlies. Read through that section. Because the temple was destroyed because the old way had become what? Obsolete. I do not personally believe there will ever be a temple rebuilt that will uh, house the Spirit of God. Jesus is the absolute completion of the old of the law. He is the temple. He was the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect high priest that sits and is always interceding on our behalf. He said it is finished on the cross because what? It was finished. So I looked at her and I said, so in Jesus' death and resurrection, he is seated on the throne. He has received the kingdom. Does it look like that? Does it look like Jesus has received the kingdom, that his kingdom has come? His will be done on earth as it is in heaven? No. Isn't that another theme in Daniel? By every imagination of the eye, in the book of Daniel... Who does it look like is winning? The beast. Babylon. And isn't that the point of Daniel 1 through 6? Is because basically, as far as the exiles can see, God's not winning. The beast is winning. The empires are winning. But that's why Daniel tells us the stories, right? He pulls back the curtain. 
And he lets us see stories about the boys refusing to eat the king's food. And what? Staying true to their commitment, enduring. And what happens? They come out stronger than anyone else. Or how about the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to this empire? Because their king is God. And so what happens? They get thrown into the fiery furnace. But God shows up. He saves his people. He's with them in the fire. There was another in the fire. Don't you love that song now? Standing next to me. Okay, Daniel, that should really make you love that song. Then what about the fact of when Daniel refuses to give up his prayer rhythm refuses to stop praying to his God. That's his allegiance. He's definitely not going to pray to Darius. And what happens? He gets thrown into the lion's den. But God shuts the mouth of the beast. What is the message of Daniel? God is in control, right? It's hope. God is in control. Our eyes may not see it, but he is. And what did he tell Daniel to do? Endure and remain faithful. Because what did he show Daniel in his vision? God wins. God wins. I said, girl, let me tell you something. This this theme of beasts goes right through Revelation. And what you're longing for is no different Then what the saints in Revelation are, how long? Oh, Lord, this doesn't seem right. We know, she knows somewhere God wins, but it sure doesn't look like it. And I said, they kept saying, oh, God, how long till you come and judge this world? And he says, what? How long, Lord? How long? It won't be forever. I'm coming. Not forever. Here is where we come to the question that the young man asked me. What does this matter today? You see, the problem is the Jewish people always had an eschatology, and I'm going to define that because I was told y'all don't know what eschatology means. It just means uh, the end times, how things are going to finish up, okay? And you don't know what the word Hellenization means. By the way, I'm going to go back. That just means that the Greeks made it, wanted to make the world Greek. It's Hellenization. That's it, okay? You got those terms now? Because I got feedback from that. But the bottom line is they always believed that when the king returned, he would restore all things. That's why you have the images of the lion laying down with the lamb. Or the dried up vine now coming alive and producing fruit. Everything would be restored. Do you understand? This is God's creation. He has given it over for a time. But can I just tell you? He ain't given it over forever. He will come back. And he, the king will return. And when he does, he will restore his entire creation. That means those of us who believe, and this earth. What do you think Romans 8 is talking about? It is saying that the earth groans for the glorious day of his return. It is like labor pains that are happening, waiting for the new birth. He's going to restore all things. The problem is the Jews never understood there would be two comings. There would be one where he takes his throne and a period where something new is growing. But all the time, there's pains. But a new kingdom is growing, the kingdom of God. That's why God says in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 24, that he who endures will be saved. And we will take the gospel of the kingdom into every nation. That is the time we are in to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But one day the king will return. And when he does, guess what will happen? The trumpet will sound. Have you ever seen a scene where the king returns? The trumpet sounds. 
The king is coming. He's returning. Guess what the people inside do? They go and meet him. Do they meet him and turn around and go back? No. They meet him and they what? They come with him to restore his kingdom because the king has returned. He will restore us when the trumpet of the Lord will sound, the dead in Christ will rise up. Where is Zachary? He is in the father's house. That's all I can tell you. He's in the father's house. John 14 through 16 says what? In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you where I am. Right now, Zachary is in the father's house. That was how Jesus described where they would go after death. It is not about reward. It is not a mansion. It is about relationship. You will be with me in my father's house because you are a child of God by faith. <clears throat> but one day, the trumpet will sound and the king will return and they will return with them and the dead bodies will rise up and they will meet those souls and they will be changed. And it will be familiar because after Jesus was raised again, he was familiar but different. Zachary will be familiar. He'll be Zach, but he'll be changed. And those of us who remain will be caught up. We will be changed in an instant. And we will be caught up with them in the air to do what? To return. To restore and to take the kingdom of God. So what does that mean for us now? Why does God tell us to pray like this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's that going to happen? The same Holy Spirit that created this earth, the same power that will regenerate it, lives in me. That means that, see, the problem is if we focus on always going away to heaven, which that's what we focus on. If we focus on being taken away to another place, we will not care about this one. I am not willing to give up on this one. And the people here and this creation, because we are still called to do what we've always been called to do. And that is by the spirit of God, bring the kingdom of God to this earth. How? By living as if we were in it right now. By the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Well, all I know is that Jesus came preaching a kingdom. And it was completely different than any kingdom they had ever heard about. He came preaching a kingdom. And guess who he offered it to first? The poor in spirit. And guess what he said? For those of you who have been down and out and cast aside and you're in pain and you're hurt and you're sick. But for those who hunger after and thirst after righteousness, what does that mean? Hunger and thirst after right relationship. Not just with God, but who? Each other. And for those of you who mourn, because when you look out on this world, you realize that's not the case. Everything is broken. And for those of you who are meek, meaning you feel like you have no power. Meekness actually means having the sword, but keeping it in the sheath. But you just feel like you, you don't, can't do anything about it. Right? We don't just endure and think, oh, I can't wait to be taken away. We do what we can. What is that? We show mercy. That's what we do. We show mercy. We maintain a pure heart. We watch that pride thing. We're peacemakers. What does that mean? A peacemaker takes two parties that don't get along and you're trying to create peace. Do you know what's going to happen when you do that? They're both going to hate you. You're going to take a lot of punches trying to be a peacemaker. It was, it was a kingdom that they had never heard of before. But that is God's kingdom. And that is what we're a citizen of. 
And so it is not about preaching the gospel so that we get out of this place and we have an eternity with Jesus somewhere up in heaven. No. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit because we have a purpose on this earth today, and that is to be a part of the restoration today. We are to live today as if the kingdom has already come so that when people see it, they will want to know him, and so that we restore. Man, if we look at that, we've got a lot of questions about how we treat people, how we can treat this environment, all of it. How much do we get wrapped up in the beasts of this world, and we fail to live as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. This is what Daniel was saying. So I say to the kid at Village Inn, it matters. What I am telling you, this relationship with Jesus, it matters. It matters to you now, and it matters to this world now, and yes, it matters for eternity. And to this young girl, I say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It is playing out just like we were told it would. The beasts will continue to ramp up and they will trample over the innocent. And when you think it's bad, it's going to get worse, right? And what you're seeing out there today is evidence of that beast. But I am telling you, we win. We win. And if you think that uh, winning means that we won't have to sit in suffering, you have not read the Bible. Why in the world would he allow his son to suffer and expect that we won't? No, we win. And so the message for you, I told her, is listen, we endure and we remain faithful to our king. And just know that while all of this is rumbling, we have a purpose. And that is to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. We're going to look at Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, the disciples don't understand this. And they are asking two questions, I believe. They're probably asking one, but they actually ask two. When will the destruction of the temple happen? And when is, what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he's going to answer both those questions. He's going to first go into an overview of, you think this is instant, it is not. And this is what you're going to see. And in that first section, we're still seeing those things. That's not just a description of their generation, it's a description of every, it's a description of every generation. Then he's going to turn to them and he's going to say, but this specifically, I want you to look out for because he's a shepherd to them. When you see the abomination of desolation as in the days of Daniel, run, forest. Why? Because Rome is about to throw down on the temple. And that is all written to them for that day. In AD 70, when you see this, get out. Don't go back and get your shoes. Don't come out of the field. Pray to God you're not pregnant and it's not winter because you need to leave and you need to leave now because it is going to get bad. But then he goes and he says, but according to that day, the end of all things, no man knows the time. Not even the son. Only the Father knows that time. We are not supposed to be looking, oh my gosh, is that a birth pain? Oh my gosh, is that another one? There was an earthquake. There is a famine. Oh my goodness, it's getting close. What in the world? Don't be watching for all the birth pains and focused on that and trying to figure out, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, do we need to? No. Endure and remain faithful and preach the kingdom to all nations. No one knows the day. When you continue through Matthew, guess what the next thing is? The 10 virgins that are telling you what? Always be ready because you don't know when he's coming. Then comes the parable of the talents. So what is our responsibility while we wait? To use whatever talent we have to build the kingdom. I mean, does this not make sense? Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you that we have an opportunity um, 
to just talk about your story, your overall story, to know that we are exiles in a, in a world, Lord, that is just a beast. But God, I'm so thankful that you have shown us when we pull back the curtain that you are seated on your throne. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're reigning in my heart. Lord, may I live that way. May I seek to always be in right relationship with you and right relationship with other people. May I be an example of what your kingdom is and will be as I endure what goes on around me. Lord, don't let me be complacent and not care and back away and act as it's not happening. And Lord, don't let me be enraged and pick up the sword because and start pulling up the wheat and the tear. So God, I just pray that you would help me to endure and remain faithful and keep your heart and continue to live in a way that expands your kingdom and to be ready at all times to give an account for the hope that I have. And that is that the king will return. So may we go out of here with an incredible amount of peace and longing to see you. The only way we can live out this kingdom, Lord, is we better stay hooked to the vine. Man, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.